Neighboring during quarantine was no joke, am I right? I had many a conversation with my neighbors over this last year where we're standing like 20 yards away from each other, basically just, just yelling at each other. Now, now, I've been told a time or two that I already have a voice that sort of carries. I, I hope my entire street has enjoyed listening in on my conversations over this last year. Oh, the habits that COVID has developed for us. Seriously, can you even imagine? By the way, this has nothing to do with the message, just an observation. Can, can you imagine if someone showed you a video of your life in 2020 back in 2019? Well, like, what would be going through our heads? Like, why are you standing so far away from people? Why do you look like you're preparing for a nuclear holocaust as you go into Aldi? Well, why do U.S. Olympians look like superhero villains on the podium? They have, like, those, those Bane masks. What a time. To be alive. Well, today <laughs> we are heading into part two of a three-part series titled, you guessed it, The Art of Neighboring. Uh, if you weren't here last week for part one, by the way, uh, I'd really challenge, I'd invite you to head to grumlaw.com slash messages and catch yourself up there. Or per usual, you can find us under Grumlaw Church, uh, wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcast. And we kicked things off last week by taking a look at a conversation that Jesus was having with a religious expert. And this religious expert, he, he sort of corners Jesus and he asks him this very direct question. He says, Jesus, what is the greatest command? Now, it's important to note that he was asking this from a Jewish context. Within the Jewish law, there are actually 613 commands. And, and he was saying to Jesus, he goes, Jesus, I know all 613 of them are important. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't be in there. But are there some that are like more important than others? And Jesus not surprisingly answers, well, you got to love God, and nobody would have been caught off by that. And he also goes on to say, a second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And ever since Jesus uttered these now infamous words, people, and I joked last week, typically annoying religious people, that they've wondered who exactly Jesus meant when he said, your neighbor. And what we're doing in this series is we're cutting through all of that religious red tape and we're just taking Jesus's words at face value. We're assuming that when Jesus said your neighbor, the people who live in very close proximity to you would probably make the cut. As in your actual neighbors, we should probably love those people well. And it's interesting that we, and yes, even us Christians are guilty of this. I'm certainly guilty of this. We can live our lives basically as, as if our neighbors don't exist. And, and I know that this actually isn't just a me thing because I had so many texts and so many conversations with people over this past week about that, that first message kind of rocked their world. They, they were almost embarrassed of how unintentional they have been about neighboring in the past. So to help all of us out, we busted these bad boys out last week. We have a picture of them up here as well. And we challenge you here to fill in the names of the eight households in closest proximity to yours. And we joked around last week. It went from a neighborhood grid to a grid of shame real quick when you realized, oh my goodness, I can't really fill in all the names of these eight households. Then we challenged all of you to make sure that you stuck this in a place over this last week where you couldn't miss it. Maybe you put it on your fridge. Maybe you put it on the dash of your car. And we gave you a week. We said, hey, here's your homework assignment. You have one week to get this thing complete with the first names of the eight households in closest proximity to yours. How many of you actually took that challenge seriously? I'm hoping that there are some hands raised on the other side of those screens. And the reason that this is so important in order to love your neighbor well, uh, you need to know their name. 
If you want any chance at, at moving from a stranger to an acquaintance to a relationship, we talked about that progression last week, you need to learn that person's name. You, in fact, have been strategically placed exactly where you are to show Jesus to your neighbors. It's not an accident that you live where you live. If you call yourself a Christian, you have been invited to show Jesus to your neighbors. This is an expectation for Jesus followers. We are to be oh so intentional about this. It's in fact living like this that grabbed the attention of and changed the world some 2,000 years ago. And I'm positive that this type of intentionality, that this type of audacious love can very much change our communities and as a result, the world today. And again, we think it starts simply with learning some names. So today, as we head into part two, we're gonna talk about one of the most common rebuttals, one of the most common excuses that we hear from people. In fact, maybe this was your excuse over this last week as why you didn't make this grid a priority. We're gonna talk about why neighboring can often be so difficult. And it's very simple, it's, it's time. Shay, this, this whole neighboring thing, it sounds nice and I can even understand why it's important. I get my head around this and I just, I just don't have the time. Maybe that sounds familiar to some of you. I sincerely believe that time is the largest obstacle that we need to overcome in order to be effective neighbors. Uh, it was several years after I graduated from college that uh, I was out in California uh, for a wedding. Uh, one of my roommates in college, uh, he was getting married, and so we're heading out to California. It was an awesome time as we got to see all these friends that we hadn't seen, you know, in a couple of years since graduating. And so, awesome weekend. Went by really fast, but then Sunday morning came, and it was my time, you know, to return back to dreary, you know, cloudy Michigan. It's like, okay, I can kind of get my head around why people would want to live in California. And my friend Mason, who was getting married, uh, he had made arrangements on that Sunday morning for his now brother-in-law, a guy by the name of Josh, to take me to the airport. Uh, now, if you're trying to picture Josh right now, Josh, I promise you, is like the stereotypical beach bum, lives on the beach, loves surfing, California type guy. I mean, hang loose, not a concern in the world. Uh, this was my ride to the airport for a flight that was taking off at 7.30 a.m. And so we stayed up pretty late the night before. It was the night of the wedding. Uh, I ended up actually staying at his apartment. Again, very stereotypical. It's just kind of like a mess. The guy's just like, all he lived to do was really go surfing and just kind of like live his best life. And so I had told him the night before, which was about 2 a.m. at that point, I was like, hey, we have to leave by 6 a.m. It's telling me it's a 30-minute ride to the airport. Uh, an hour, I already feel like, is cutting a little bit close, but I knew anything earlier might be completely unreasonable for him. So I was like, hey, let's make sure we're walking out the door by 6 a.m. And so I set my alarm. I spring out of bed. I get dressed. I pack my bag. I am like ready to go. And I'm just kind of waiting in his living room like any minute, Josh, like you can come out out of your room any minute. And so eventually I go do the, 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 you know, I knock on his door and he comes to the door and he's like, man, is it already time to go? I'm like, yeah, we need to go like five minutes ago. Like, can we get moving? And he's like, yeah, no problem. And then he goes back into his room, he shuts the door, and I, I think he's getting dressed. At one point, he walks out of the room brushing his teeth, and he's like talking to me while he's brushing his teeth. And I'm like, dude, let's just move this whole thing along. Like, go back in there and hurry up. So he finally gets dressed, comes out. He's like, we ready to go? I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely ready to go. And I'm getting pretty anxious at this point. And he's like, man, would you like a smoothie? I was like, 
No, I don't want a smoothie at all, actually. I just want to walk out the door and I want you to take me to the airport. He's like, man, you can't start your day without a smoothie. And he proceeds to take all these fresh ingredients out of his fridge, his blender, and he makes a smoothie. He's like, man, you're missing out. I'm like, dude, I want to leave. I am dying inside at this point. And so finally he gets his smoothie. He's got his to-go cup. We go out and we get in the truck and we start this drive. And he's like, man, isn't the ocean beautiful? And he's talking to me about it. I'm like, it is awesome. I love the ocean too. He's like, we got to take the scenic route. You don't know the next time you're going to be back out here. I was like, no, I would prefer very much the expressway. I want to get to the airport as fast as we possibly can at this point. Nope, he diverges. We take the scenic route right along the beach, and it was beautiful, but that beauty was lost on me as I am again losing my mind as we are running so late to the airport. And as we're driving, I promise I'm not making this up. There is a food truck up ahead, and he looks at me and he goes, Shay, have you ever had a really good breakfast burrito? And I'm like, I have actually. I have, and I, I don't want to try another one right now. I, I feel like I know what's coming next. He doesn't care. He pulls right over the side of the road with his truck. He walks right to the burrito stand. I'm in the car going, are you kidding me? So I get out of the truck hoping to maybe speed this process along. He pays for two burritos. He gets me one. They finally hand us the burritos. I start walking back to the truck. I'm doing the whole handle thing, waiting for him to unlock it. And I turn back and he's sitting on a bench eating his burrito. And I'm like, Josh, we gotta go, man. And he looks at me dead serious. He goes, dude, there's no eating in the truck. And so there we sat on a bench for another 10 minutes, eating burritos, I as fast as I possibly could, him just kind of just having a good old time. We get back into the truck. He eventually gets me to the airport. Uh, long story short, I actually did end up making my flight, but only because it was delayed by an hour. Otherwise, there was no chance I was going to make it. Here I was, completely high strung, every bit of tension has risen to the surface, and this guy the entire time was completely relaxed. We find ourselves a part of a culture that is so rushed, so impatient, schedules packed so full. So, so the idea of adding anything, or in this case, anyone into our lives, it sounds completely unreasonable. Come on, I know what some of you were thinking last week. It's like, okay, Shay, this, this whole neighboring thing, that, that might work well in your cute little pastor ministry world where you only work about three hours a week. But here in the real world, for us, us people who have real jobs, that's just not realistic. So a great question for you. If time has ever been an excuse for not loving your neighbor well, if time has ever been an excuse for not making the space for people, it is, do I live at a pace that allows me to be available to those around me? I, I talk to the Grumlaw staff about this all the time. Let us never be a church who places programs before people, where we put our to-do list ahead of living, breathing human beings whom Jesus saw fit to die for our jobs or our careers, our sports, our extracurricular activities, our hobbies, even television, ahead of people whom God has strategically placed in our lives. See, what we really have a problem with as, as Americans, as first world people in particular, is, is margin. The same reason people will cite for not spending time with Jesus each day. It's the same reason that church attendance is in decline. 
It's the same reason people don't serve in their community. They don't serve in the local church. We have such little margin. I mean, think about it. Isn't it interesting that we have more time-saving devices and luxuries at our disposal than ever before in the history of mankind? Zoom Zoom meetings instead of in-person. Just roll up to the grocery store and and a stranger loads your car up with the groceries that you shop for online. A a phone that gives you directions, allows you to listen to a book while you're driving, pre-order my food at a fast food restaurant and a whole bunch else. But yet, we're more rushed, we're more hurried than ever before. We, we, We save ourselves all this time, but we end up filling our schedules with even more stuff. And I would propose oftentimes the wrong stuff. Rather than using all of this extra time to invest in and love people well, we just cram our schedules with more junk that ends up leaving us more tired, more drained, more exhausted, and in turn, less margin for what matters the most. And because we as human beings are capable of endless self-deception, we feed ourselves lies. We feed ourselves these, these myths that, that someday things are just going to settle down. Once we get to the summer, we're going to have time to relax. Once we get to the fall, to the, the beginning of the school year, life's going to be more predictable. Once the kids are, are, are all in, in grade school, once they graduate, once we retire. It's interesting though, right? That, that new season came and you're still every bit, if not more, busy. The reality is that this myth will only come to fruition either A, once you die, or B, once you get real intentional about it. Once you get real intentional about creating margin. Another myth, someday more is going to be enough. Both the Christian and the non-Christian life, we all feed ourselves this lie. Once we get that house, once our kid gets that scholarship, once I get that position, more, 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 more. But, but guess what? It it never ends up being enough, does it? We always want more. We we never think we have enough. Don't miss this. Contentment, contentment never comes on the other side of achievement. Contentment never comes on the other side of a purchase, ever. Myth number three, everybody lives like this. Sorry, this is my life, this is our culture. I mean, you don't really have a choice, right? In fact, isn't it kind of interesting how our culture not so subtly awards busyness? Like like it's a badge of honor. And if you're one of those rare people that do have margin, you're one of those people that aren't unhealthily busy, like like my buddy Josh who took me to the airport, people almost look down on you. Seriously, like there's something wrong with those types of people. Uh, It was about a year ago that that I recognized that, that my cell phone was like kind of taking control of my life. And so I, I, I instilled a couple practices in my life. I took email off of my phone and, and all of my apps, except for basically my phone, my messages and the Bible app, it shuts down at 6 p.m. And I, I can't get into those apps without a passcode that only my wife has. And I've told a lot of people about this, how literally it's kind of been this life-giving, life-changing practice for me. And, and it's crazy the number of people that have made these kind of passive-aggressive comments towards me where, oh, it must be nice that you can get away with that with your job. My job would never allow for that. It's like, oh man, it must, must be nice to just kind of disconnect. But believe it or not, there, there are healthy people out there who, who have intentionally built margin into their lives and, and are not tr- constantly trying to get more. 
And and this morning, I want to invite you into becoming one of these types of people. You have the ability to change how you use your time. You have the ability to change and have the ability to create some margin in your life. Now, not surprisingly, Jesus was a master at this. And he offers us not just something different, but something better. See, even if you're new to this whole church thing and you don't really know where you stand with this Jesus guy, isn't there something strangely appealing about the person that isn't always in a rush? That the person that consistently leaves margin for other people, that's always willing to lend a listening ear and give you their undivided attention. I think there's something inside of all of us that kind of yearns for that. We say this all the time around here, and I promise you that this is an area where this holds beautifully true. Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life. He he, he doesn't want you ruled by your schedule. He doesn't want you to be a prisoner of the moment, exhausted, desperately waiting for that next season that's just gonna inevitably end up leaving you even more exhausted. No, he offers and, and he models something so much better for you. A life that actually has margin. We're going to take a look at a story this morning uh, that we find in the book of Luke. Luke is one of those four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. By the way, if you consistently tune in here on Sunday mornings and and you're not carving out any time to, to read this book that we call the Bible for yourself, I want to invite you to do that. And Luke would actually be a fantastic book for you to start taking a look in. Luke was actually a doctor. And he didn't believe that this whole Jesus thing for just the sake of belief. No, he was a guy that was actually a little bit skeptical of all of it. And so he investigated, he thoroughly investigated the events surrounding the life of Jesus. And then he records those findings for us in the book of Luke. You can download an awesome app just called the YouVersion Bible app. It is 100% free. I hope that you guys will begin to carve out some time and just read about the life of Jesus. But here in the 10th chapter, Jesus has stopped by a friend's house. It's actually three friends who are also siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And he swung by their house apparently to just share a meal and maybe to teach them some new stuff. It says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted, here's where we come into this story, by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and you're upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. But both Mary and Martha recognize that Jesus is someone special. They recognize he's someone they should make time for. But but Martha gets distracted. Come on, I I can't be the only one that, that, that feels like, man, that sounds way too familiar. Rather than making Jesus, real time spent with Jesus the main thing, she gets distracted, she gets hurried, she gets rushed doing stuff that is actually really good, it's important, but it's just not most important. 
She's cleaning the kitchen and she's preparing the food and she's setting the table and she's getting everything for ready for Jesus and the other guests, all while her sister Mary is apparently just lounging around listening to Jesus. And if you're anything like me, it's really easy to read this story and think, come on, Martha, get it together. I mean, it's Jesus. You don't have to worry about the pot roast right now. You have the son of God in your living room. But but it's important to note that according to the societal and the the cultural norms, Martha was actually doing the right thing. Mary's the one, culturally speaking, who's out of line. Here's the point I'm trying to make this morning. Sometimes we will need to go against cultural norms in order to create space for what's most important. We will need to go against cultural norms in order to create space for relationships with our neighbors. And, And going back to where we started this conversation, the, the, the most glaring, the most frequent area that you're going to need to push back against all of this is, is time. It's margin. It's, it's a hurried life. I, I love the simplicity of how Corey ten Boom puts this. If the devil can't make us bad, he will make us busy. Come on. If the evil one can't perpetually trip you up by making you sin, he'll just make you busy. He'll just distract you. And if we're honest, for a lot of us who are watching right now, it's working. John Ortberg expounds upon this. He says, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we'll settle for a mediocre version of it. We'll just skim our lives instead of actually living them. If we were honest, there's a lot of us who are just skimming lives. We're living this mediocre version of our lives. So so many of us are living that Martha type of life, distracted, hurried, rushed, no margin. And and as a result, we're settling for something that's mediocre, completely void of of what Jesus has invited us into. And as a bit of a sidebar, Christianity, as a result, has largely become unappealing the, the, the result is, is that our world is looking at our lives going, what's so great about that? It, it doesn't seem to be all that different from, from the hot mess I'm working with. And so they swipe left. But, but fortunately, <laughs> Jesus invites us into something so much better. A, a life of abundance, joy, fulfillment, purpose with, with a whole lot of margin. So so for the rest of our time together, we're going to make this real practical. I I told you that would be a theme throughout this series. The three life balancing, three margin building principles that we can pull from this interaction between Martha, Mary, and Jesus. And and again, if if you're still not sure where you stand on this whole church, this whole Jesus, this whole Christianity thing, these principles will undoubtedly make your life better and make you better at life. Three life balancing, three margin building principles that I believe have the ability to truly change your life. First up, and it ties directly in with pushing back against these cultural norms, say no to good things in order to make room for the main thing. There will always be good vying for your attention, vying for your time. But is it what is best? Is it the main thing? As a follower of Jesus, this starts with daily time spent with Jesus. We say this all the time. The single most important habit that you could develop in your life is that daily encounter. That, that, that daily time with Jesus where when you wake up in the morning, one of the first things that you do is you carve out time to just share honest thoughts with God, to cry out to him, what, what we would call prayer, 
where, where you open this book that we call the Bible, the only book that has the ability to transform, and you read those words and you allow them to dissect you, you allow them to speak to you, and it's not a homework assignment where you're trying to read it as fast as possible. No, you're really meditating on those. You're asking God, God, what are the implications for my life? What are you trying to teach me here today? It's incredible how the rest of our lives seem to fall into place when that's the first priority, when that's the first thing that you do each day. Church, I say no to meetings first thing in the morning. I say no to breakfast with people. I say no to an earlier start on on writing a sermon. I say no to even time spent with my kids and my wife to make sure that the first thing I do is spend time with Jesus. Let's go beyond this one example. I will often say no to invitation from, from friends to do things that I really enjoy like golf and fish and ski because I need to spend time with my kids. You, you may have to say no to your kid's Sunday morning game in order to show your children that Jesus will be a priority in your house. And, and we, in our house, we are going to church. You may have to say no to more vacation, get your rear end home early so you're not missing out on another week of group. You may have to say no to invitations from friends on a Saturday to hang out in order to be more intentional with your neighbors. Come on, for a lot of us, for a lot of the Christians who are watching in particular, you have just completely surrounded yourself with other Christians. Now, in a vacuum, that's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it's part of the reason that we gather here on Sunday mornings. But as we talked about last week, showing up here is all about coming together to learn, to encourage, to worship together. But then we get sent back into our communities, into our neighborhoods to show the love of Jesus to a world that so desperately needs him. For a lot of us, come on, it's time to make some space for people, namely your neighbors who don't know Jesus. You may have to say no to sitting on the couch watching TV with your spouse. And now, by the way, I'm not one of these weirdo pastor Christians who are like anti-TV. I do that with my wife. But you might have to say no to that sometimes to go hang out in your front yard in order to present yourself with new opportunities to get to know your neighbors. In fact, it was actually about a week ago, right after I gave the first part of this message, uh, where my wife and I, we, we were sitting on our couch in our living room, watching the Olympics, just kind of vegging out, like, you know, I was zoned out, pretty tired, nice and relaxed, comfortable, air conditioning on, and we get a knock on the door, and I go to the door, and it's one of the neighborhood kids, and they're like, hey, Shay, we're, we're about to light off some fireworks, and you want to invite your, you know, you want to come out with your kids and, you know, watch them with us? And I'm like, our kids are already in bed, so no thanks. And I shut the door, I was like, well, I had a good excuse for that, and we go sit back down, and my wife's like, you think we should go outside? And I'm like, no, the kids are in bed. She's like, you think we should go outside and spend some time with our neighbors? I'm like, honey, I don't really want to. I'm lazy right now. I'm, I'm relaxed right now. She's like, I think we should go spend some time with our neighbors. And I'm like, fine. So I got up off the couch, put my pants on. No, I'm just kidding. Got up off the couch, went outside and spent some time with our neighbors. We were there over there for about an hour, sitting on their back patio, just talking and getting to know each other better. Some of you, you're, you're such people pleasers that this is gonna be hard for you but begin to practice this week saying no to make room for what is best, for what is most important. Number two, make the shift from a spender to an investor. Now, we're not talking about money here, even though some of you, you need to have this shift with your finances as well. No, this ties in very much with our first principle. Rather than viewing your time as something you spend, begin to invest it. See, when you spend anything, you deplete it, you use it up. Eventually, it runs out. And as a time spender, just like with our finances, our time ends up controlling us versus an investor. See, when you invest your time, you control it rather than the other way around. You manage it. 
You, you deposit it in the areas that are the most important. You invest it in areas that are gonna have the greatest impact, not just for you, but also for the people whom God has strategically placed in your life. And, and as an investor, you're okay with small, seemingly insignificant deposits. You know that taking the time to learn your neighbor's name will grow into something far greater down the road, just like compound interest. You know that one morning spent with Jesus isn't going to make a huge difference, but daily, ongoing, that will have an impact. You're not going to develop relationships with all your neighbors in a day. It's going to be gradual, steady, consistent, relational time deposits. And then number three, be interruptible. Think about all you have to do in a given week and have you left yourself any margin? Can you be interrupted? I mean, when you look at your schedule, is it even possible? Church, I will fully admit to you, <laughs> this is so hard for me because I love my to-do list. I get this strange satisfaction from just getting a ton of stuff done in a day is that really, going back to our first principle, is that really what's most important? Are, are you moving about in life at, at a pace that's giving God the room to speak to you? Or, or are you so busy that when you sprint down the driveway to put out the trash can and that neighbor whom God has strategically placed in your life also happens to be at the end of his, happens to be at the end of her driveway, do you even notice them? Are, are you interruptible? Remember, we started this whole conversation last week by talking about what Jesus said was the greatest command. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. If you call yourself a Jesus follower, this should be the filter that we are running our lives through. When we look at our schedule for a given week, how we're allocating our time, are we modeling well what it means to love God and love our neighbors? And church, here's the irony of this, or perhaps better stated, the cyclical nature of all of this. You can't love God without loving your neighbor. And whether you realize it or not, when you love your neighbor, you're giving your neighbor a taste of what God is like. I said this last week and I'll say it again. So much of neighboring, it can be, come on, it can be uncomfortable and awkward and even simply put, just, just hard and until you start to figure out how much the God of the universe loves you and the great lengths that he has gone to in order to have a relationship with you, in order to be close to you, loving your neighbor is going to prove to be very difficult. I actually don't think you're going to be able to keep it up consistently for the long haul. Those three principles that we just covered, they're all good tips for life. And like I said earlier, they're going to make your life better. But, but good luck living this way consistently without Jesus being a constant, a consistent part of your life. This is not what comes natural to us. And, and maybe you're sitting here right now and you're like, there's just something clicking. Maybe you've been just kind of leaning in and checking out this whole church thing because you're just kind of looking for answers and you've never put your trust in Jesus. And we want to give you that opportunity here this morning. So no matter where you're sitting right now, I'm just going to ask you to bow your head. The God of the universe loves you so much that he sent himself down to this earth for you. And after spending this time on this earth, he gave his life for your sin, for my sin. But here's where the story gets three really good. Three days later, he rose from the grave. 
And he wants to give you that opportunity to make that relationship right with him. That's why he did this. And so right now, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to comprehend that the Most High God would make that standard so simple. But the way that you are declared righteous, the way that you are called approved, the way you get that right standing back, it just comes down to belief. Trust. Do you believe that Jesus is who he claims to be? And so right now, it could be as simple as right now with your head bowed, just saying, Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know that what we're talking about, even in the series, it doesn't come natural to me. I know I can't get my act together on my own, but I believe that you came for me. I believe that you want to be close to me. I believe you died for me. But more importantly, I believe that you rose from the grave for me so that I could have new life in you. Jesus, come into my life, and from this day forward, I choose to live for you. Amen. Remember, Jesus isn't just inviting us into something different. He has something better for your life. Us living this way will transform our communities. It will show people what Jesus is actually like. So this week, let's continue knocking out these neighborhood grids. If you've you know, wrapped up all the names, start asking, filling in with hobbies, what people do for a living, interests, and begin to practice those three principles. What good thing do you need to start saying no to in order to make room for the main thing? Begin controlling your time rather than allowing it to control you. Make that shift from a spender to an investor and create margin so you're interruptible.